Hey up, guys, it's Naval here, and today I'm going to be giving you guys the second episode of the Legends Lounge podcast. This podcast can be found on all major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify, and a video version on YouTube. This is your one-stop shop to hear all your favorite content creators and pro players' opinions on the game while getting to know them on a personal level. And for the, for the second episode, we have a very special guest, Liquid Hotsick. Before we get into anything, I want to start off with your beginning, how you got into gaming, how you came into Apex, and how you kind of like fell in love with the game. Um, yeah, I mean, I got into gaming by, uh, for most, I think most people probably know by now that my family is Bosnian and we uh, immigrated here uh, when I was like three or four years old. Uh, the earliest memory I have, uh, I think I was like five or six. I, I don't remember exactly, but I remember I was like really young, but I remember this memory pretty vividly. Uh, in this apartment building that my family lived in, um, I remember there was this other kid who was just roughly around the same age as me. Uh, asked me for help on setting up his NES. Yes, I'm, a, I'm obviously a little bit older than most. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and we set it up and the first game we played instantly was Duck Hunt. And I was just like, I don't know. I thought it was like the coolest freaking thing. I mean, keep in mind, I was like five or six. But uh, I mean, it's been pretty much downhill since then. I've been uh, in love with video games ever since then. Um, Apex uh, was a game that, I mean, I've always been a fan of Battle Royale since PUBG came out. Uh, that was the first one I played, but I hated the game at the same time because it was just kind of really bad, I always thought. But like I was addicted to that feeling of Battle Royale, and I kept going to all of them, you know, trying each and every single one. And I was starting to get kind of burnt out on them because I felt like none of them really nailed the formula, at least to my liking. And then I remember I was just doing, I wasn't streaming full time at, um, at the time that Apex came out. I was, I was in between jobs, actually. And I remember I was like a 20 viewer streamer at the time, too, a uh, very small following. And I remember I was just going to, I was getting uh, my capture card for my Switch came in and I was going to play Breath of the Wild. And my stream, my couple people that watched were super excited. And I was like, but you know, I was like, you know, we'll do that tomorrow, the day before Apex came out. I was like, we'll do it tomorrow. But, you know, I, there's rumors of a new Battle Royale coming out from EA tomorrow. So if there is, we'll check that out for a couple hours. We'll see what happens. And then I didn't play Breath of the Wild for like three months because I was just hard addicted to Apex. Like I, I played it every day for like 13 plus hours not because i even wanted to like go pro i mean uh or like be like a big streamer i just really like really enjoyed the game and uh and i i, I was very lucky with how like things i guess fell into my lap in that regard and how i actually was able to make it a job was there like a a certain moment that you kind of like was able to tell that this was going to be your job like was there a, a paycheck yeah. was there a host was there anything along the lines of that yeah, so even though my community at the time was really small, they were, like, ultra-supportive. Uh, so I was doing okay. Like, I was making all right money, even though it wasn't, like, my job. Mm -hmm. um, but the I think the one moment that really went big for me was, uh, that, like, really clicked, was the first Twitch Rivals tournament uh, that was coming up. King Richard uh, needed a team. And I did get a... I went out really... I got a, a world record. Uh, very early on in Apex for most squad kills, uh, or most kills among like the whole squad, the whole game. Uh, mm -hmm. It was me and uh, two of my friends. Um, and it was at, I believe it was 39 kills. And this was like really early on in Apex. It was 39 uh, kills for the entire game. And this is before people found out about like the, you know, the balloon jumping, uh, like B-hop healing, all these things to kind of like help them get across the map faster and, and frag more. This is when like the bare bones mechanics were still like the norm, um, and we held it for like about a week, which was I think impressive at the time um, because most of the records were broken like the next day. But uh, I got out to that world record um, and got in touch with King Richard about uh, when he needed a team. I like put that on his post, and he said he'll uh, give me a tryout. Um, and but he has a bunch of people to try out. Right, one of those people were Dizzy. Um, and he had already, at this point, when I got to my tryout, he had already picked Dizzy because uh, Dizzy was absolutely fragging and just did all this crazy stuff, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And uh, but after my tryout, uh, it was pretty crazy. He got a lot of love from his stream. A lot of people came to my chat and were like, uh, were like very impressed. I definitely kind of choked a little bit. And I was very sad about it because that they them two died, and it was pretty much me on on my own in the last game. And I know probably if I had clutched it up, there's a really good chance he probably would have invited me to be on his team. Uh, and of course, for those that are watching that didn't know, uh, King Richard and NRG, or NRG's King Richard and Dizzy 
won the first Twitch Rivals like pretty easily with uh, Ninja. Mm-hmm. But later on in that same uh, night, um, he his chat was asking him who he was thinking about, and he, he basically was thinking about picking me or uh, another player named Bird. But a couple hours later, Ninja got on. This is, again, when Apex was like fresh off the scene, super hot. Everyone was loving it. Ninja got on and was like, yo, uh, yeah, they were like, who are you playing with? And he's like, I never got invited. And they're like, what? And so they just invite him on the spot, you know, uh, so which is understandable. But, you know, it was getting that close uh, and do, and keeping up with those kinds of guys. And they went and slaughtered the first Twitch rivals. That made me realize, like, hey, maybe, you know, something could come of this. Um, I still didn't, like, go hard with the full intent to make it a job. But that was, like, the first moment that I was like, wow, that's, like, I knew I was pretty all right at the game. I didn't realize, uh, you know, I could actually maybe do something with it. So, but that was definitely the first moment. Who did you... Uh... Who's your main at the the start of Apex? Um, I didn't really stick to a main to be honest, because I know in my past playing character based games like this, like I played a ton of Dota, a decent amount of Overwatch. Um, I didn't like maining one character because I knew balance changes could always throw everything mm-hmm. off. I, I always preferred, and even to this day, I always prefer playing as many as I can and and grabbing a little bit of information from each one, not necessarily maybe mastering one. Like, I remember when scrims were coming up, everyone was looking for certain character mains. And I didn't like, I didn't want to be a not attractive person for a team just because I was like a Wraith main and everybody was a Wraith main. I definitely stayed away from Wraith because everybody was a Wraith main. I knew that would lower my chances. So uh, I played, uh, I mean, I played Bangalore uh, Bloodhound in the beginning when he was considered okay. But once people realized he's not that great, I definitely played a lot of Lifeline. And then uh, once Watson came out and like, I was was playing pro. That's was my mostly my main. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. I same same here. I just I literally had to stick away from Rafe because I knew everybody was gonna play Rafe. Everybody was a better fragger than me. I just had to stick away from Rafe. I think I have like one win from season one, two, and three on Rafe just because I never played her ever. I just couldn't stick on mm-hmm. her. Just everybody else played her, so I feel that. Who did you um get the 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 kill wrecker on? Like, uh, I was Bloodhound. Bloodhound? Bloodhound, yeah. This is because I was one of the, I mean, this is again early on in the game. Uh, yeah. this is when me and my friends I was playing with were like, whoa, we're like, okay, Wraith is pretty good. We should probably, we probably won't Wraith. And then we're like, Bloodhound and Bangalore, you smoke yeah. them, and then I ult, and then we just kill everything. You know, that's I mean, that, of, that was kind of the meta. It in, actually, in the yeah, very it, beginning. Yeah. It's, it certainly was. And I did it, uh, also with the Hemlock, too. I, and I remember in that game, I was like, <laughs> Man, this gun kind of slaps. <laughs> even though it was seen as kind of a joke then, but I was like, I mean, I was frying with that. I didn't even realize the original like, we, Noko. Yeah, like we weren't even pushing for the kill record. It was like there is a video of the game somewhere out there. Um, but I remember it was like there were like five squads left, and I was just like, "How many kills you guys got?" And like you know, my my friends told me, and I was like, "Wait, we actually have like a ton of kills. We could do something with this." And then it wasn't until after the game where like we looked up what like what the kill record was, and like, holy crap, we actually mm-hmm. like we kind of farmed. Uh, so it was pretty cool. Okay, so I, I saw that, or I I hear that you guys kind of like got into scrims and you kind of were just messing around with what kind of legends you were picking and whatnot. And I remember I was trying to go back into your to your YouTube channel and kind of like piece together a couple things and whatnot. And I remember there was this one video of you like scrimming, and I, I think it was Q Snipes because you were talking about like, mm-hmm. oh, this team isn't really a. a the scrim team they were just kind of in our lobby so i'm assuming it was just q snipes i remember you guys just absolutely you you specifically had a longbow and just dumpstered yeah. liquid it was when um i think it was casper rogue and i th- i can't remember who the other guy was. It was was it okay yeah he, he, he got away so I, I couldn't really tell but mm-hmm. dude it was just that was when the longbow was just insanely good it sucks yeah. to kind of see it go down but it was so funny because you were like, "Oh, these guys are these guys are good." So it's it's crazy to kind of see you come full circle and now you kind of coach the team. And a lot of people don't know that Rogue was on on Liquid yeah. uh, at the beginning, you know. which is also really cool. Yeah. What kind um, of? Uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say no. That yeah. No, I, I remember. I, I think I, I have that video still up. I think it's unlisted though, because I figured maybe it doesn't really fit the channel anymore. But I, I'm glad that you actually went back and saw it because it's a pretty it's pretty cool to go back and like look at that because the ending team we killed also was i shiny uh muffins and i believe their old initial fanatic teammate um corn pops spirit oh no, corn pop? mm-hmm. okay i i remember watching i forget what it was i think it was a uh twitch rivals and corn pops man i i don't know where he is now but he was disgusting he was really mm. really good 
His Kramer shots were just yeah, absolutely electrifying. Um, what kind of got you into VOD reviewing? Like, was it something that your your viewers kind of just like told you to do, or is it something that just kind of came naturally? I know pro players like VOD reviewing, so what kind of made you want to share your kind of like insight with the game to the public? Um, it definitely came from one moment where there was a, I think it was like a, uh, the first real big online tournament um, before like the LGS. It was like a $25,000, I think, GLL or P PGL tournament or something like that, that most of the teams were invited to. And then uh, there were two spots that you had to kill race for back in the old days. And I, I qualified through the kill races with DCOP and uh, Solve, who were ex Tempo Storm. And and then we we did pretty all right. Um, we probably could uh, I, I probably myself could have done better. But it was after that tournament. I was sitting in a Discord channel with and uh, just hanging out with like Lou Monsoon, Decop, um, and them. And then we were just uh, and then I think it was Lou that brought up the idea. He's like, uh, I, I was like, I'm gonna stream. I, I told him I'm gonna stream him in a bit. And he's like, you want to bot? Like Lou was like, you want to bot review on stream? I was like, you mean like the tournament that just happened? He's like, yeah. He's like, screw it, like, let's just hang out and just, like, talk about what happened. And I was like, okay, fine. And while we were doing it, like, it was, you know, completely out of the balloon. While we were doing it, um, I had noticed, uh, like, this is before I got partnered and everything. I had noticed that people really liked it. And, like, my chat was, my chat engagement was a lot higher than my normal streams. Like, you know, people always kind of, like, lurk. But, you know, a lot of people were coming out and asking all these very, very basic questions that, like, to a pro player is, like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, oh, people rotate through here because of this, this, and this, right? And they're mm -hmm. asking so many basic questions. And I was like, huh, it seems like there's, and I, then I thought about it. I was like, there isn't really a connect at the time between, like, the pro scene and, like, the average viewer in terms of, like, educational stuff and why those things happen. And people seem to really like it. So um, I I, uh, I think I almost, I hit, like, almost 100 viewers on my own. And then the next time I did it, where I actually, like, planned it out, I hit like 330 viewers organically, which is even to this day, I actually don't hit that many usually organically. So that was like really cool. I was like, damn, people really like this stuff. And um, yeah, I just, it was kind of, I like being like kind of analytical and looking at all this kind of stuff. And the fact that other people enjoyed hearing it was just kind of like knocking out two birds with one stone. Mm -hmm. I mean, th this is kind of a perfect segue into the, into the first topic I, I want to get into, which is just amateur and pro like amateur to pro. Um, what, what kind of made you want to get into pro play in the first place? Like when did you kind of like realize like, Hey, I could probably make money off this. I could actually compete and earn money from it. Uh, day one of the apex pro league, literally the first day back in the day, I didn't actually have a team to compete with. I think at the time, um, because you know, it's a ton of people. I mean, there were like a several hundred people that were basically queuing Q snipe scrims to like, try to see what could happen with it. Because some mm -hmm. people were, at this time, some people were already getting signed to teams, and people were like, oh, okay, so this actually might be like an eSport. Uh, day one of the Apex Pro League. Uh, again, if you, uh, I guess if the viewer, whoever's watching this doesn't know what that is, very quick, that was like a very, it was a Discord uh, for Q-Snipe scrims that had like an automated bot that like, that basically would tally your points and stuff like that. And it was pretty much the only way we could actually get together and like scrim and kind of have like a league because we realized the normal q snipe scrims people weren't playing seriously but we figured hey you know maybe we have a league and then we take this league like take the results bring it to orgs a lot of people actually got signed off those scrim results so um a lot of orgs were actually looking at that so day one uh, i filled for monsoon's team when he was wbg with bert and urban uh bert couldn't make the very first day of it so i filled for monsoon i knew monsoon from a previous game we weren't like close close uh, I just knew of him and because we competed against each other. But uh, they needed a fill. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I don't mind filling. And we won. It was six games a night. And we won every single game. Uh, every single game with, like, decent amount of kills, too. Like, we actually just destroyed everybody. And uh, we got off to, like, we, like, I think over more than doubled and tripled. Second and third places points. So that's when I was like, you know this probably could be something right I, I i should i might want to like try a little bit harder in this and see what it, what can happen so that's like it was the, the very first day of apex pro league that kind of secured it for me and this was like t t1 league right or uh it was it was t, it was t1 league before it was t1 oh, okay this is what t1 so did, league turned into 
Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So I just I I, I never really got into competitive prior to season two. I kind of started in season three with Stomps, if you know who he is, and um, I just remember every day, uh, six roll would just count down for us every day, and mm-hmm. you'd either say happy birthday to Noko or just call you a boomer, and then we would just be on with the uh, <laughs> with the uh, the scrims, and it was just hella fun. Yeah. Um, and everything's definitely changed from here on out, like to those days to now, because now we have uh, what's it called custom lobbies, and especially like even custom lobbies are a lot different from when they first came out. Like the whole chat system, there there wasn't a chat when customs came out at first the, the really the only way to chat with like one team to another was just changing the the team name that was that was interesting because you only had what like 16 characters or something like that so a lot mm-hmm. of people would just put in like their their drop spot but now we have chat we have observer we have just so many different things that just when customs first came out we just never had so it's mm-hmm. a lot of things that are different from the yeah. t1 days which is really nice Absolutely. um and speaking of things that are different like how did so how how is it different for people who don't know how is it different to be able to qualify like for an algs finals now to how you kind of qualified for poland because i know poland was a lot different from how you kind of qualify for algs now could you kind of explain because i know you went to poland and competed there so how did you and your team six and turns how did you guys get to poland so a lot of it was also basically from this t1 apex pro league discord um Mm -hmm. pretty much if you were on a tier one org or most of the big orgs uh you basically got invited um there wasn't an actual like hard qualifier so it was a little bit shaky on sometime who got invited but um i was on the pittsburgh knights at the time and we didn't get a part of the first wave of invites so we were a little bit like worried if we were actually going to get to go but eventually once you know it was like 80 some teams so i think it was 80 exactly actually so um they definitely filled it with like kind of as many just competitive teams as they could find and we eventually just got an invite. Um, it was mostly, yeah, it was mostly invite only. There wasn't really a qualifier. Um, but now with ALGS, obviously they, that was the preseason, so um, yeah, that was meant to be like an intro. And then uh, it's definitely probably a better system now, at least for the average person if they want to get in and see what they can do. Um, it's a, it's a lot more inclusive for sure. Yeah, how did you uh, meet Turns and Six prior to Poland? Uh, six I knew uh, from the game that I used to play before, which was Realm Royale, the Battle Royale that I played before. Um, I wasn't like a big name in, in Realm Royale, but probably most of the community knew me. But like I wasn't like, you know, I was like 30, 40 viewer average in that game. Um, but that game in general was pretty small. So, But I, I knew six from there. Uh, I competed against him. Um, he's shot on me multiple times within, a, within the pub games. Uh, but it, same thing as Monsoon. I met my new Monsoon from there too. Uh, so I, I knew of Six, but I never really, we never like talked. We just knew of each other, you know, kind of as competitors. So mm-hmm. um, when I got the opportunity to join the Pittsburgh Knights, they gave me the freedom to find my own team. Um, so I went and Six and I at this point have already been friends because we put after, after Realm Royale kind of died, him and I started to get closer. We used to play games together like Blackout. Um, all these other things. So I went to him because I knew he was generally just a really good mechanically gifted uh, VR player. So I was like, hey, let's uh, let's see what we can do. And then we just went through a bunch of, we basically just went through a bunch of tryouts in the T1 Discord, you know, looking for people. And Turns was certainly a good fit for us because we kind of like him and me and Six are kind of definitely very heavy on the IGL side. Like, you know, we think a lot. We just kind of wanted a hard fragger and Turns at the time definitely filled that role for us. And it's, it's kind of crazy to see you guys all go your separate ways kind of after a couple of tournaments and all literally all of you guys have found success. You have been like the, the probably one of the most notable coaches within the Apex Legends scene mm-hmm. altogether, no matter region restricted or not. Uh, Six won a tournament, ALGS tournament with uh, Bowser and Nicewig. And then you have Turns who came in second with uh, SF, I believe, in OT2. Should have got, mm-hmm. got first, but man, yeah. TSM just, they just powerhouse yeah. at that time powerhouse so it's really nice to see you guys all kind of go to Poland together you guys all became friends and then you guys kind of all go your separate ways and all find success in different uh respects yeah um, I mean uh, and I, for sure I was sorry I mean good job but I was uh, no no, no go, go when, ahead but when uh, I mean I still love the boys uh we didn't go our separate ways because you know we had like any bad blood or anything we just 
it's just one of those things that sometimes it's easier to find a team when you're solo. But I'm really happy yeah. that they uh, turned out doing well for themselves as well. And I know that you kind of uh, were talking briefly about how you were able to kind of pick your team with the Pittsburgh Knights. For people who want to be pros now uh, and they want to be like under an organiz organization banner, do you have any kind of like tips for them to be able to stand out that could be like, oh, this team is probably, we want to sign them more than this team because of X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's the, the landscape for that is a lot different these days because uh, you no longer really have too many orgs looking to get into the game in terms of, you know, just signing up like, hey, oh, these three guys are, they're free agents, they're really good, let's sign them. Uh, mm -hmm. At this point, it's pretty much um, who's uh, the teams that already exist, who's an individual, like, you know, teams will be shifting constantly, especially if they're big tournaments, you know, one player might just not really mesh well with them anymore. Um, that's just the, nat the nature of sports and esports in general. So probably my biggest advice is just uh, pop off as much as you can on an individual level. Um, even in even in the current scrims that exist, you know, if you're constantly on a team that might be that you're constantly killing, like you know, uh, pro players and whatnot, and you're being generally respectful, you know, not being an asshole on like social media or something like that. But if you're doing really well in scrims, you don't have to be winning, but if you do enough to at least impress the existing pros or whomever. When the time comes when they need somebody, you know, every we all go down lists and we think about everybody that's in the scene and we think about who would be a good fit. So just work, work on yourself. Be the best that you possibly can be. Pop off an ALGS, obviously. That's, that usually looks very good. And then, you know, when the time comes, if, if someone's needed, um, then, you know, people will come knocking. Oh, ranked as well. I, I know people find it, like, as a meme, but, like, if you get into the ranked scene as well, I mean, you'll naturally probably come across a lot of pro players. You will uh, probably play with a lot of them. And that's like, there's a lot of people that I've changed my opinion on um, just by virtue of coming across them and ranked a bunch. So um, mm -hmm. they've always like, either they absolutely like dumpster me out of the blue and I'm like, wait a minute, this guy's kind of nuts. Uh, you know, that happened with a couple of people actually where I'm just like, wait, this guy's pretty cool. And then we've gone to either team or maybe potentially talk about teaming so just be your best pop off as much as you can stick to the grind and keep your ego low as you're doing it and what kind of mistakes do you find amateur players or amateur teams kind of like go through whether it's like trying to go for an org like i know that you were just saying like you know don't be an asshole on twitter or kind of don't like kind of like stick in your own lane in, in a sense or is it even like in in game like different kind of rotations kind of you know screw this team over or, or like what kind of mistakes do you see that like commonly happen a lot that just can easily be fixed and how to fix them um kind of piggybacks off what i just the last thing i just said keeping your egos low i think there's a lot of teams that will get uh the sense of false confidence from like you know they might you know maybe maybe they have a lot of success killing a pro team over and over or you know, ranked running over some pro players and they get this like false confidence that they think they can do whatever. And, it be, mm -hmm. and, and even though they're successful at, you know, maybe the, engaging that team, but they're still uh, showing really bad results. They think they, they don't spend the time to identify what the real problem is. Uh, I can easily tell differentiate when I'm playing what a good team is and what a bad team is literally based off of a push. Um, there's a lot of dumb, but like, yeah, you might've rolled over the team that you're pushing, but if you end up dying for it less than a minute later, like that's not a good push. And there's a lot of teams that are known to continue to like be doing these dumb pushes um, where it doesn't matter. Your ability to fight doesn't matter like, if, if you just don't die because you chose a very poor macro decision. And I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of teams that also, I can tell they probably don't VOD review themselves because they continue to make these mistakes. Um, so that's why I'm like, I do think people get like a false confidence and an inflated ego from winning fights that uh, necessarily don't even make sense for them to be pushing, right? They're, they're tackling, they're band-aiding uh, a smaller issue rather than tackling the big one at hand. So definitely VOD reviewing and actually exploring the root cause of why they're not doing well. Mm -hmm. and, and kind of again, piggybacking off of VOD reviewing again. I know that we already talked about kind of what got you into VOD reviewing, and this kind of goes into the, the second topic I want to talk about, which is coaching. Mm -hmm. How did like you VOD reviewing and competing kind of turn into a coaching job at Liquid? Like was, was there any major 
thing that was on your resume that liquid was like hey yeah this guy is like he's good he's smart i want him to coach us i think he could really help us was there anything major um at the time i mean so they were interested based off the voters actually nocturnal messaged me and was like yeah he messaged me just asking if i know any analysts and i was like what for and he's like for a coaching position and i was like hi me and he's like you want to try <laughs> out and i was like sure let's see what happens um and i coached them for like three days um we did a lot of, we did a lot of work together i kind of like i didn't change a lot of the way they played i just kind of refined it and mm -hmm. then they won online tournament three they, they they dethroned tsm's streak and i mean i guess you don't really need much more of a tryout or you don't really need to go much further in the tryout than you know winning a tournament <laughs> so they kind of they kind of signed me almost instantly after that that's awesome i I believe wasn't one of your first kind of like refinements like telling them to run like a crap ton of snipers yeah it was uh Dude. yeah because at the time snipers uh i think this is early on when snipers just got changed to their own category and stuff and pe so people mm -hmm. weren't picking it up because you know oh you have to look around sniper ammo it's not easy to get all the time um but i watched a lot of eu gameplay at the time and i was like uh, man, I remember Alliance especially. I was like, man, they're literally running triple snipers. They're bunkering up mid-zone, running triple snipers. This is when Evo armors were also a new thing, and most people mm -hmm. weren't picking them up, at least because, you know, it was just like they they preferred getting a blue armor because, you know, you didn't have to level up the Evo, which at the time was started at 25, so it was a bit of a risk. So Evo armors and snipers were the first two things I told them to start doing, and things changed overnight. Like the next scrim... Yeah. Uh, every single game they had red armors, <laughs> which they didn't have before, and they were seeing a lot more success. And then that translated into uh, the tournament. It was it was really annoying playing against uh, playing against Liquid. They always just had snipers, top train cart. Whenever it was a, a train yard zone, it was just yep. near impossible to rotate in from Skyhook side in that open field. It was just you know just scouts, uh, charge rifles, longbows four to eights, four to yep. tens. It was just God awful <laughs> rotating against liquid just because they had it all. And I remember just a bunch of, uh, doing a watch party on OT three, I believe. Was that where you guys dethroned TSM? Yeah, it was OT3. OT3? yeah. OT three. I just remember having a watch party and just, oh, I think it was, I, I think it was Sentinels. I think I'm not exactly sure who it was, but they were absolutely mauling over just getting like double charge rifled. Yeah. It was just so funny to watch, man. And that, that was a perfect uh, refinement because just like you were saying, nobody was really doing that. And I remember when Gibby started coming into the comp and I, uh, you were saying like the less Gibbies there are, the more powerful Gibby becomes and vice versa with Pathfinder. And I think that kind of applies to like gun meta as well with like snipers. If a lot of people aren't running snipers, as long yeah. as you put your team in that position to be able to thrive with snipers, I mean, mm -hmm. lo and behold, it just, it just wins. And I see TSM kind of doing that more and more as of like right now, Imperial how he's just been running charge rifle and they've been, uh, I feel like getting a little bit more consistent results as of late with, uh, with snipers. And it's just amazing to see it just one small coaching kind of like refinement really just changed the complete output of yeah. or our future of apex just by dethroning a uh tsm with snipers and whatnot yeah and that was a lot of it also uh, like i don't think everybody should be doing it but the, i gave it i told them that because at the time they were landing train yard and what was drill station which is mm -hmm. now countdown <clears throat> so uh it was just it just made sense with the way they played you know their their play style uh, i didn't change their play style i wanted to like just try to help them with their current one their play style was what a lot of the top teams were doing, which is just scan beacon, gain center zone, bunker up with Watson, and then just poke at people. And they were doing that before without Evos and without snipers, and I thought it was a pretty no-brainer change to do that. Mm. And I know a lot of people have like different opinions on coaches for battle rails because I feel like a lot of people think that battle rails are just completely RNG and there's no kind of strats or whatever, which is just far from the truth and whatnot. Mm. And just people have like a lot of different opinions on battle rail teams having coaches. Since you are one, I kind of want to get your opinion on that. Like, do you think that there should be teams that have coaches, or do you think that there are? It's a very uh, what's the word? It's it's niche. So, yeah, yeah, niche. Do you think just like 
every team should have a coach, only some or just none? Or do you think coaches really benefit? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, uh, and I think every pro, I know there's some pros at the time when I got signed as a coach, they probably thought they thought it was a bit silly, but at the same time, I think every pro knows that there's a lot of decision-making that goes into every single game and, uh, what to do and whatnot. A lot of pros, I think also just think they know, like they, they think they got it figured out, which is great. Like if they do, that's fine. Then they don't need one, but I do think there's a lot of benefit to it because, um, what matters the most is like you're gonna mess up a lot in a br right like you said there's there is rng in it but what matters most i think the uh, coach serves as a really good mediator for like figuring out what actually happened because when a fight goes wrong or something and a team gets picked or uh, fails a rotation uh everybody typically only gives like their account of the fight and mm -hmm. what happened in the fight and how they think it should have happened or how they see everything but uh i think one of the nice things about a coach is they'll take that extra time to look at everyone's VOD like individually, um, collectively, and then be, and then actually get like the bigger picture of what should have happened. Like why, like, yeah, sure. That guy got picked, but why did that happen? Right. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it I think it takes it to the next level. Um, I think, I think certain people, I, I don't really know. I know of coaches outside of like myself, but I don't really know, um, the kind of advice like they give or what they exactly like how they help their team. So uh, I'm not sure in that regard. You know, I think I'm definitely very qualified given that I have competed at the highest level. So um, I know how to, like, what I need to be looking for. But no, I definitely think BRs are, I think the fact that they're just a growing esport and there's there's not a lot of uh, coaches in, that are in it. People think, oh, like, well, then you don't really need one. The fact of the matter is I think every team would have one if orgs were willing to pay that much for, uh, willing to pay the extra for a coach, right? Mm -hmm. um apex isn't the most profitable game for orgs that are even that are in it so i think most of them would rather not incur that extra expense but i think if there was like a franchise league and they're making a lot of money from it you would absolutely see coaches and analysts for sure and it's really nice how you kind of mentioned that is like coaches i feel like like you were saying it's really easy for like a three-man squad to kind of pinpoint or not pinpoint sorry uh point fingers at each other and say Hey, you kind of did this wrong. Mm -hmm. So it, it's always like three man squad. So it's always going to be like a two versus one kind of like, no matter how you really go about it. So it's nice to have like a fourth kind of like overview and kind of iron out all these different problems that could occur. I feel like TSM is one of those teams that um is really good at not being able to do that where they mm -hmm. kind of don't point fingers at each other. They're very level headed and they are able to kind of like talk a lot of different things out. It's nice to see G Dolphin as their kind of coach and analyst as well, be able to kind of be that mediator as well on top of them already being good at that. And other people, I I think the only other really coach that I really know all too much about is Night Raven. I'm not sure if he's a coach. I know he's an analyst for FanRG, but it's definitely nice to see a variety of coaches being able to help different orgs and whatnot. I know, I think Night Raven helped out with Nasky and Nasky's been getting extremely good at reading circles especially while playing crypto in this meta so having different coaches and having that third kind of view on teams is just really nice to have yeah i think it's funny too because i remember reps in particular uh gave me a lot of shit for being a coach i <laughs> thinking that oh you don't need coaches or whatever but there he is now he's got one himself so um yeah so i think i mean i, I just think it's a matter of do orgs want to pay for it because i think there's so much strategy involved and so many things that, like, at the end of the day, BRs are all about, like, exposing yourself to as many scenarios as possible, failing, but most importantly, learning from that failure. You know, like, why did that rotation go south? And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the bridge that the coach serves to um, to fix, I guess. Would you have any kind of, like, advice for aspiring coaches who want to get picked up by, like, an org? Uh, would it be helpful for them to kind of, like, start coaching, like, a, a lesser-known team? who's kind of like done well in like something smaller, like a GLL community cup, or do they kind of just shoot their shot and go for like a tier one org and just say, Hey, this is my resume. What do you think? What, is there any kind of like advice that you can give them? Um, I think just probably, uh, well, the first thing you have to make sure is you have credibility. So the only way to establish credibility is pretty much to do something that proves it. Um, so either like, uh, get your name out there, even like, even getting high rank, is not bad because uh a lot of people meme like oh you know like like ranked certainly is nothing like comp 
But at the same time, it's the closest thing to it outside of comp. So because you still want to play, like if you want high RP, then you have to play slow. You have to play a little bit more methodical. However, your end games aren't going to be as crazy because most there won't be that many teams. But also, but proving your credibility in terms of like the way like I did, which was the early VOD reviews that I did. So um, Nocturnal originally messaged me just to know if I knew any analysts. But I think he was okay with me coaching because um, like he knew at the time I was doing the VOD reviews. I think most people, most of the pros did. Um, and I had a lot of pros show up too. So I think they found it helpful as well. So like that kind of established my credibility in that sense. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and then I got that tryout for other coaches that aren't in the scene. I, I think it's more about just getting your name out there as much as possible. W- whichever way that you can do that through is, uh, like maybe YouTube, like videos of like coaching and stuff like that. Cause, um, most people will hire to their team or to their org just based on people they know, you know, like when, when, um, Casper took his break, you know, we immediately sat down, like we didn't, we're not, you know, we're not going to hold a tryout. We're just going to go to all the pros that we know that need a team. Right. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's all about getting your name out there. And for now, I, if I really, like, if I was in a position of like a brand new coach and I really wanted to get into coaching, um, I'd probably put together maybe like a reel of things of like an analysis of maybe of a team that I, that streamed their gameplay and maybe send it to them and be like, Hey, you know, did this analysis. What do you think? Um, if you guys are interested, I'd be happy to coach you or something, uh, mm-hmm. or be your coach. So something, just put something out there that establishes your credibility that you know what you're talking about. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, do you think that like that they should kind of like Vaudeville and coach like bigger teams or do you think that they should kind of go for like smaller teams because i know like when uh tsm put out their their coaching kind of position how you would apply for that how would somebody smaller kind of gain the respect of somebody like the five-time champions uh, of how and reps when they were looking for somebody how do you think that a smaller person can kind of gain respect because i feel like especially with an na uh that I don't want to say there's a lot of egos within NA, but there's just definitely a lot oh, of there like are. hard. Head- <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's just a lot of hard headedness. So how would somebody smaller who doesn't really have that kind of rep, how would they kind of gain respect from those top tier players? Would it be like tournament placements? Would it be, um, kind of like doing hot takes and predicting like a meta or something along the lines of that? Uh, tournament placements, is obviously probably the best start, but you know, I know mm-hmm. anyone that wants to get into coaching might not be uh, as mechanically like able to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'd say probably similar to something like Night Raven. Like Night Raven, I don't think has like the biggest following, but he took a. I, I don't know how he got on to. I believe he was the he was analyst for GSD at first, Nasky Strafendel. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he got to them. I'm sure again he probably proved his credibility. I think he. I think he got their interest by like knowing how to read zones. Yep. So, um, yeah. So like he established his credibility with them. Uh, they did really well. And I think, uh, NRG sniped him for that reason. I'm guessing, uh, I don't know him too well, but yeah, I mean, just something like that. Start with the team that, you know, you might see a little bit of, a like a free agent team that you see, uh, maybe some, some sort of potential in, uh, maybe, like I said, maybe VOD review their games for them. And like with, on your own time and then be like, yo, what do you think of this? And then just try to help them out. I think that's probably the best way to do it, you know, because you can, there are a lot of players out there, I think that can certainly be top tier competitors, but just need to be pushed in the right direction. So start with a smaller team, see if they'll take you on and then get some results with them. It's probably the best way to do it. And like I said, and probably proving yourself to them by like, you know, maybe already, already bought reviewing their games and then showing it to them. Mm-hmm. That kind of brings me into my my next kind of like topic, which is just ALGS and self-identity. Personally, I think Apex competitively can just be a forefront of esports. I personally think it's probably the best battle royale because there's, there is, like I said earlier, there is like RNG within Apex, but it's very manageable, especially with the the recent changes as in like Evo, which isn't too recent, but it's it's recent enough. uh, That takes a lot of, um, uh, what's it called? rng out of the game Mm -hmm. and there's just so many different things that like you can you can manage the rng within apex Legends. so i think it definitely could be a forefront of esports and i i another thing is just i think 
Apex just really needs to push their their competitive side a little bit more. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on how they could do that. Um, just one idea that I would have is like, I know CSGO, whenever there's a major tournament going on, whenever you launch into the game, you have a small little tab, like with the, the Twitch link of like their major tournament. And I think, uh, Apex could do that very easily with like a small little like tab on the right side of the screen. Whenever there's an ALGS kind of tournament going on, they could just have a small little thing saying, Hey, we're live on Twitch with the best pro players click here to kind of watch. What do you think that? Respawn and EA can really do to be able to push their competitive side of Apex to be able to bring it to the the forefront of the casual fan base. Um, more marketing probably is probably like the easiest like forehead answer. Um, <laughs> I know they they've been they didn't always do it, but they've been start like they've started to throw it into like their um like when you launch the game. But the only problem with that is. Like, it would be nice if they could embed the, the stream somehow, like, a streaming tab in their game. Like, I know, like, PUBG, I think, does a really good job of it, where um, anytime there is a tournament coming up, I mean, they have their own, like, franchise league and everything, but anytime a tournament's coming up, they have, you know, not only do they have cosmetics for it, but I, I know there's the reason we don't see that is, like, there's some, like, legal troubles with it. It's not exactly as easy as people think, but mm -hmm. there's usually cosmetics for it. They hype it up beforehand. Uh, you can watch it in-game. Like stuff in game changes when things happen, uh, or when tournaments happen. Uh, yeah, and there's like this whole streamer tab and all that. I think that would be a really good way to bring it to because there's a lot of people that log into Apex every day. There are not a lot of people that care too much about. Or, I mean, there are, but like there's there's probably a surprising amount of people I would venture that probably don't even care about the Twitch side or the streamer side. They just play Apex to play it. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's one way to easily bridge that gap. Like the best marketing tool you have is your game, right? Like is the game that people log on to play every day. I know a lot of the messages that come in that that advertise the game or advertise the ALGS tournaments don't come until like the day of the tournament, right? And maybe your average player isn't logging on every day. So maybe like a little thing where like upcoming events or something would be nice. Mm -hmm. uh, all, all sorts of, I, I think the marketing could certainly stand to be a little bit better. Um, and then of course like event skins and stuff like that but like i said that's probably a little bit that's probably much harder to do and one thing i remember when like this the game was kind of shooting out to become an esport i'm surprised uh they don't have it as like part of the banners in game i remember the first time i played the game i was like that banner system is so cool like you could see like they could probably do a lot with it they could have like sponsors on there uh, maybe even mid game mid tournament they could have sponsors thrown on there um they could like do uh, they could advertise events in there. You know, they could do so much more with those banners in game. I'm surprised they don't. That, that would be actually a really kind of cool idea. I didn't even really thought about that. I remember watching a, a a montage or whatever of this guy who kind of like keyed out and masked out the the banners, and he kind of put like whatever he wanted to there um, for like a advertisement, like how exactly how you were saying. I think that would be really really cool idea to be able to do that. That would just I would just be able to bring whatever who's ever promoting the the tournament to the forefront of the viewer and just kind of like hopefully be able to make more money for the actual mm -hmm. sponsor and then that would make them in return want to do it again and just have a consistent sponsorship from whatever uh company that would be that's a really good idea what what changes do you would you personally want to see be done to apex competitively um like I know Shiv he kind of famously was ranting about the the self-reses and kind of got that kind of single-handedly thrown out the game, even though there was a lot of backlash about it um, prior to that clip happening. What what can you see as a coaching standpoint? What would you want to see be changed about Apex Comp to be able to be able to make it even better than it already is? Um. Yeah. So I was thinking. Um... Crap, I had an idea and I just completely lost my train of thought on that. Uh, what was the first part of the question? Sorry, I, I completely like blanked. It's basically just like, what could you see change about Apex Legends competitively to be able to make it better? Right, um, right, 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 the whole Shiv thing. Uh, well, Shiv, I mean, a lot of the things that Shiv feels and like when he, like that's like that gold res is something that almost everybody, at least on the comp side, wanted taken out for a while. It was just that one clip that was very beautifully executed, I might say. <laughs> um, it was just that that one clip that kind of made it really, uh, I guess, Stand brought out. it to the forefront. And obviously, yeah. with it getting as much engagement as it did, people, they kind of realized that they go, oh, maybe people don't want it. 
Um, the the competitive team. I know this might be like a big cap for some people, but the competitive team. I mean, I talk to them a lot actually. They they do tend to try to listen to people as much as possible when it comes to at least the competitive side. Um, they are trying to. I, I I talk to Shaheen a lot, and they are trying to actively make it something that uh, the comp scene themselves kind of almost form. But you know, they don't really. You know, they don't always take kindly to people just complaining incessantly on Twitter. But something I would want changed. And I think all most of the pros, is, for example, is take Kraber out of competitive. Um, obviously, Kraber is like such a content weapon, and it's really cool when someone gets a knock. But competitively, the Kraber is awful. Like mm-hmm. uh, in a game like Apex, like getting one shotted for something that you virtually could not see coming. If you're, you know, like say you're fighting a team, and then somebody 150 meters out that you had no idea was there, and like you really couldn't tell was there. There's no real indicator. All of a sudden, whips out a Kraber that was never shown in the kill feed or whatever. It was their first shot of the game with it. Like, there's no counterplay to it, and that and in Apex you need some form of counterplay to everything. Otherwise, it's going to feel really bad to play competitively. So, first and foremost, definitely take the Kraber out. Um, I would love. I know PvPX has been harping on this a lot forever, but I think upping loot in general in competitive would be nice. It really sucks to push a fight in in competitive, or have to have to push a fight when you know you just don't have the things you need. Like, you might have an entire POI to yourself, but you don't have the things you need to fight, which feels really bad. I know PUBG mm-hmm. does this. They, their loot is, like, increased from the base game and competitive, like, three to four times. And I understand they don't want to change the game too much from, you know, with the comp scene, from the comp scene to what the, uh, like, the casual game is because, you know, they want the casuals to see the same game that the pros are playing. And I, I get that. But I don't think upping like the loot necessarily would be something crazy game changing, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, so I think upping loot in general would be really nice. Uh, something like taking out, like maybe having all of them drop in with all white white gear, white backpack, white knockdown, all of that, so none of that is missing. Um, and then all the only, I think that's the new LTM that's actually coming up. And then all it's yep. all just blue and purple past that on the ground. I think that would be overall a good change. I don't think anyone's going to complain in Apex about having more loot. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, it's that's probably some of the uh, at least immediate changes that I would probably do or want. Yeah, they're doing they're doing that for the uh, the anniversary event, I believe, where they're just all all white items are just completely gone from the game. I think that that like you were saying, that's going to be a great change. It's going to be able to open up the loot pool for a lot of different things that could be either added or just be able to make you know like. A purple armor a little bit easier to find because there's less things in the loot pool for for things to be able to spawn in and like you were saying with the craver being taken out i know that in the most recent algs where solo fight so here <laughs> here's a question i remember when you used to cast you were the only caster to be able to say um i believe it was solified and then everybody else called it sola fide which way is the best way to be able to say that team's name from someone oh, no, who it, probably it, knows it's sola fide Solafide? Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I was uh, I, I was one saying that it's sh- uh, I'm pretty sure I was the one saying it should be it, it is Solafide because um or at least yeah, cuz I vod reviewed them I think before I started casting. I could be wrong on this part. My the timeline's a little hazy. But I remember while I was the first time I ever vod reviewed Solafide, the the or the people from the org came in and told me how to do it. They told me okay. what to say. So, so I remember uh, it was just like a complete disconnect from uh-huh. from one caster to the next, and it was just <laughs> it was just so funny to be able to just listen to it or even just watch the tournament. Uh, I, and like you were saying, the the Kraber is just like in the most recent ALGS event, like SF. I uh, forget. I think it was Jen who had it. Uh, he just walked up on NRG and Countdown and just completely one shot sweet, and then it was just a team wipe from there. And then even in the most recent uh, Lulu tournament day one, where it was a prize and how in a two v three. Uh, just somebody came up, prize just hit him one time, and it was 123 damage. That gun just completely shifts any kind of fight within competitive, and especially like in competitive, where just if anything does over 100 damage, it completely shifts how a fight is actually run. And just like one shot potential kill gun, it just completely shifts everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you're known in the community for a multitude of reasons, whether it's a coach, whether it's a player or whether it's the VOD reviews, how do you personally kind of set yourself apart from from being known as just the coach or the guy who does the VOD reviews? How do you self-sustain the the name Hotsick? Um, I mean, probably just continuing to play, you know? I mean, I've, I've definitely, ha- since becoming a coach, I, I probably don't grind as hard as I used to. 
um, because now I have like other things I need to tend to as well. But uh, I mean, I still play ranked. I still try to scrim when I can if my team needs me, or uh, every now and then I'll fill if I have the time to. Um, I'll fill for like other teams just to, you know, keep up to up to shape. But I mean, still playing, uh, playing the game, trying to. I don't try to maintain high rank, but you know, I still I'm friends with a lot of the pros. They know they know me. They know what I can do, so I can so I still play with them and streaming pretty much. You know, uh, if I don't stream, the more I don't stream, the more I think people would see me as like just a coach. You know, and the more I don't play the game, people would see me as that. So, uh, I think just maintaining the ability to play the game really. Okay, and just to kind of start wrapping up the the podcast to even get to know you on a more personal level. I have just 10 questions. You can skip a question. You only have to answer five of them. Um, and just kind of getting to know you a little bit more. Uh, first question, would you rather live in a place where it's always cold and snowy or somewhere where it's always warm and sunny? Cold and snowy any day. Cold and snowy. I love the, really lo- lo- love the winter. How come, bro? It's so cold. Because you can, uh, I'll die on this hill because you can, you can <laughs> always put on more clothes, which might not always be comfortable. I get that. But when you're hot and you have no way to deal with it, you can only take off so many clothes, especially given I certain mean, scenarios. That's all I I'm mean, saying. that's fair. Sleep. I, I remember because I was born in Orlando and lived in Florida for a while. Sleeping, trying, trying to go to bed when it's like a hundred degrees outside. It's, it's damn near impossible. That's so one I mean, of that, yeah. That's one of my least favorite things about, about it being hot. If it's hot and I'm like mi- even like mildly like sweating, I I can't sleep that night. I, I simply can't. Yeah. Dude, I'm. We are two opposite ends on this conversation. Though I'll tell you what, that's the only thing I can agree on. Everything else, dude, I'm I'm the guy who wears the sweatshirt in like 80, 90 degrees weather. That's mm-hmm. I'm the one the one weirdo who does that shit. Um, if, if you could pick one person that you would like to meet IRL from the apex community, who would it be that you haven't already met? Um, that's a tough one. Uh, and it doesn't have to just be one. It could be a couple. Yeah. There's definitely a couple I would love to meet. Uh, one of them comes to mind. That's uh Deltouche Cause I just feel like, <laughs> I just feel like, I feel like you probably can't have a bad time with Deltouche. Like no matter no, what definitely. you go out, have have a couple of drinks and like it, you will just have a good time. I think that'll be hilarious. Uh, He's Diego, just entertaining. Yeah, Diego is definitely another one. Um, he just seems like such a cool dude. I've, I've spent a decent amount of time just even playing games with him off stream. Um, just it seems like a super nice dude, super cool dude to have like just as a friend. Uh, Shiv, I think would be hilarious <laughs> for sure. Um, but I think most of the most other ones I've I've probably met in Poland. I think. At least most of the other ones that I would probably want to hang out. Like, I had, uh, no offense to anyone who I might not have said. I just I've met a lot of them already. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could see one legend, whether it's already been meta, or whether it's meta now, or just any kind of off meta, what legend would you want to see come into competitive that would be super entertaining and fun to play? Um, hmm. fun to play and super enter- uh, super entertaining, super meta. Um, I don't know because those are two very different ones. Because, like, for example, I love the Watson meta. I know viewers mm-hmm. don't like it because they think it's too can't be too slow. But as a competitor, like you, that brings consistent results. So people like that as the competitor side. So that's tough. Uh, probably, I wouldn't mind just a new character. I like I like having the meta be diverse. Don't get me wrong, but I think I would like to have a meta or a character that just does a lot of utility, but without making like. I kind of agree with a lot of people that the game is kind of going to maybe crazy, dangerously close to like being a ability legends. Uh, mm-hmm. I would like, I personally would also like to get away from that. And I would, uh, so I'd want a character that just kind of like offers utility or maybe like uh, some new form of movement or rotations that doesn't crazy, like that doesn't crazy take away from the game's uh, like fighting skill cap. Mm-hmm. I, I know, um, I believe it, uh, who was it? I think it was Scissors team in NA. They tried running Rampart for quite a bit. You ever think Rampart could ever come into the into the meta? Uh yeah, I, I do, but I think she needs to be a lot stronger than she is because she what? she plays she plays into the whole uh, initial way the Pathfinder Watson meta and Wraith mm-hmm. meta was. Uh, you know, grab a building and hold it down because especially I think if Evil Armors didn't exist, if it was still the same way it was, I don't think she'd be that great. But the fact that Evil Armors exist, uh, snipers and long range are obviously very strong choices for weapons she supplements all of that right she gives you increased damage to the walls 
Um, she gives, uh, which gives you obviously just more poke power and whatnot. So I think she mm-hmm. could, in theory, eventually be meta. Um, I think she just need more. She needs more love on the walls. Uh, I don't think they're just too easy to deal with. Um, I don't think her turret is great at all. I think it's pretty trash. But at the same time, I don't wouldn't want it to be usable because if you look like that, the turret is an ability, an example of an ability that it's going to be garbage if it's really bad, which it is. Yep. But it, if it was at all usable, it would be terrible to play against. Like that wouldn't <laughs> feel fun. Like getting mowed down by by Sheila all the time in a in a meta where Rampart's meta. Like that wouldn't be fun for anyone. I think. So it's it's a very difficult ability to balance, and I don't envy them for trying to do so if they do. But the walls, I think, would have to shine for her. Her passive is really good, uh, especially now that Spitfire is really good too. Like her passive definitely is very good. It's just the walls need some more love. They're just too easy to deal with. It's too far. It pushes her too far into like uh, you have to be at that spot much, mm-hmm. much, uh, much earlier than you would anticipate fighting. I think she'd be mm-hmm. really fun if like you could on the fly kind of like build up a base like and or build up the walls and get them going with without too much trouble like if one of your boys gets down you could instantly start putting down walls without too much uh worry about them getting insta destroyed i know my buddy kind of brought up a a a very interesting point it would be it'd be very different but say if you had like a, a door just a one door and you were to place a rampart wall on it it would kind of auto form into like the shape of a door and it would mm-hmm. just completely replace the door. It could still be opened and whatnot. Or not, sorry, it wouldn't be opened. The uh, the way that you kind of shoot your bullets outside of the 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 wall would still be there. So you could just kind of like jump through it. I think that would just be it'd be very interesting. It'd be a very weird change, but it would. I, I think that could really help. I mean, I know that you could just already place the 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 wall in front of the door already, but just kind of being able to completely change it and. Maybe not having, because you, I, I believe you could still through throw uh, grenades through it on one side. So if you were on the side, like the the orange side of it, where you can't like shoot through it or whatever, mm-hmm. if that could like actually block a grenade, so then the nade doesn't actually go through it. I think that would you know change her. And like you were saying, she's either gonna be the the legend who's just not good enough to be able to play, or she's just gonna be the legend who's just too good. So trying to be able to find that balance where she's good but she's mm-hmm. not overpowered. It's definitely very hard so i think yeah. she could be very fun to be able to play within in uh what you call it in comp and i think she could be very fun to watch but like you were saying sheila i mean if she gets too overpowered then it's just gonna be really really annoying to be able to play mm-hmm. yeah uh i think if she did enter meta i don't think it'd be bad competitively but i think it might tread on that same line of like watson being meta and they kind of like slowing it quote unquote slowing the game down and being boring for people i say that because mm-hmm. I don't think Watson was the reason the game was slow. That's just BRs in a nutshell. Like, yeah, nobody wants to push a fight that's not favorable for them to survive. Watson, Watson, if anything, made the game more, uh, more tolerable because you know you didn't have to worry too much about shields and nade spam, which felt awful to die to. So, especially back when uh, you could carry two nades at once instead of yeah. just one now. Oh yeah, she's a perfect answer for that actually. <laughs> Um, next question, if you could have a free pass of lifetime supply of food to any kind of restaurant, whether it's fast food or kind of like dine-in, if you could have a free lifetime pass of just walking, get whatever you want, walk out, where would you kind of, uh, choose to be able to have that pass to? Um, it's tough. Uh, probably be something either, I want to say something either pizza related or like (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Or maybe even I mean, Wendy's, but but Wendy's I, is a solid pick. Yeah, but it's only because so it would be pizza related. But my family actually owns a pizzeria, so I kind of already have that pass in terms of pizza, and it's like really good. So I feel like that's not the right answer. Uh, so I'd probably pick like uh, no. I mean, I know people are probably going to be like you, hey, Wendy's, but I firmly believe that the fast foods that you find that are like good and bad literally depend on like where you live. Like I know they're very franchise and all that, and they have like a system. But at the end of the day, you still have people handling your food. Uh, I've been to some like places that are that like some Wendy's are like really good, like the one near my where I live right now. But there are some Wendy's that are like awful, and I never want to go there again. But like, the Wendy's yeah. next to me makes me want like everything they make is I feel like tastes the way it should, and it's really good. So probably uh, probably Wendy's. I know the I know the Wendy's by me. 
just uh it, it takes a little bit of time to be able to get the food out so you gotta kind of wait a little bit yeah. but it, it's really good i feel like they're i mean yeah it's kind of known as a burger joint but it's I feel like they have some diverse stuff. Like their their chicken wrap is really really solid I, and it's really underrated. I almost you uh, I almost always just get the spicy chicken sandwich. Almost it, always. It's it's really really solid and it's just yeah. underrated. And, and Wendy's just comes out with a lot of coupons, really good coupons too. And I just I vibe there. I love it. Um, next question, I guess, and this would probably be the last one, just because you've already answered five. Um, are you Team Apple or Team Android? Android. Would you ever I, switch to Apple? Nope, switched away from Apple. I think Apple is really. Oh yeah, I think Apple is a, a trash to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I it's just because like, dude, I had one before. I think the operating like people say like uh, Androids are like phones for boomers, but I don't think they realize like Apple is literally made to cater to boomers. Like the the operating system is super simple, which is fine, but um. Anything an iPhone can do, an Android can do as well. But I, I always see people comparing like cameras and stuff. But I'm like, dude, Android is made. Android is made for like the common person, right? But you can't compare like a $200 Android phone to a $1,000 iPhone. There are over $1,000 Android phones that can take just as good pictures, if not better, than an iPhone. You know, it's just more. Yeah. There's more uh, competition to like Android phones than I think. And I just don't really like Apple as a company. I think they're just kind of definitely a little bit uh, overrated. Yeah, I mean their their stuff is for the most part just kind of rinse and repeat. They don't really really update all too much. I mean they'll they'll have small updates here and there mm -hmm. with like from phone to phone. But I'm I'm in the same boat. I used to be an Apple an Apple user, and then my dad kind of like put us all on a on an Android thing, and I've loved it ever since. Like the widgets, I, I feel like widgets are really really underrated when yeah. it comes to to Android, and I don't think Apple has widgets. And if they do, it's it's definitely not on par with uh, Android. Yeah. So, I I I don't care what other people say. I I 100% agree. I just I'm a I'm an Android user for life, I guess. Yeah, it's just so much more you can do with it, and I, that I prefer for that reason. Yeah. Um. So again, just to wrap up the the podcast, I kind of like having a recurring question for every person. Uh, last person we had on, like I said earlier, we had Kobe on for the first episode for the pilot, and he kind of wanted to ask you. How did video games change your life? Uh, well, probably when I was growing up. I mean, I definitely didn't have like the easiest time growing up. Um, my family came from a country that was basically war torn when I was born, so uh, we were very new, or at least my parents were very new to this country. They didn't know much of English. Uh, it was definitely a rough. Uh, didn't have a lot of money growing up, um, and overall just like did i mean i had like a decent amount of friends in school but like i never really felt like i fit in with them you know what i mean and video games were always a big escape for me and i always i met all of my like i have a lot of uh close friends in real life that i've known from school but i met like some of like my some of my absolute best relationships in terms of like friends and whatnot has come from video games the people i've just met online from like world of warcraft was a big one uh there's a lot of people i've met in my life from world of warcraft uh I met my girlfriend through Twitch and we've been together for like two years, been very happy. Um, so it's pretty much like everything. And I've also now have a job in it too. So it's given me a job. I actually wake up uh, happy to work for and work, uh, work for, for like a better version of it every day. Um, I mm -hmm. didn't, I was a financial advisor before gaming and I just didn't like it. Um, I just didn't, I, I didn't wake up happy to do every, what I wanted to do every day. So yeah, I, it's pretty much I, everything I, for I, me. I feel like a lot of people kind of have that that kind of relationship with gaming where it's just like it's a it's a, it's just an escape from mm -hmm. from all of your daily tasks and it's just a way to get away and honestly I've personally I know a lot of people feel the same way it's just you kind of build your your strongest relationships with people online that are halfway across the country or you know halfway across the world even at that so it's just a really nice thing to do um for regardless of who's on for the next podcast what question would you want to give them for them to answer at the end of the podcast? Um, it's going to be an apex guess, right? Yes, it should be. Yes. Um, that's an interesting question. Kind of want apex related yeah. or just general anything at all. Um, I guess, uh, what would you be doing if Apex just never existed? If it never came out as a surprise launch? 
That's a good question. That's solid. That's 10 out of 10 right there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that seems to be it for the second episode of the Legends Lounge podcast. Again, Hotsik, I, I really want to thank you for coming on and being just an absolute amazing guest. I feel like we got to talk about a lot of good things. People got to know you on a more personal level. And I, I definitely want to link any kind of social media that you would want to have in the description or you could even, I, say it right now. I mean, I would love to, you know, for all the audio users who don't really have a description, I mean, just shout out whatever you would like to right now. Um, Probably just my Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, which are all literally just HOTSIC, H-O-D-S-I-C. So that's pretty simple. Okay. Um, well, all of his uh, social medias will be linked in the description for all the YouTube viewers. Uh, and make sure to tweet at me and leave in the comment sections below who you would like to be on the next episode. And again, please show HOTSIC some love. Um, all of his stuff will be in the description. So guys, please comment and subscribe. Thank you guys for listening or watching this podcast. See ya. Bye.